Hey, hey, C12. Oh, did you come ready? Ready to lean in? Okay, and again, um, we have people in the back looking for our seats, so um, you can scoot over toward the middle if you can, leave the aisles open. Lots of you in here, so good. All right, I'm gonna introduce to you tonight our speaker speakers. The teaching tonight is gonna look a little different. We are first going to hear from a friend of mine and, a, and also a pastor on staff here, and he's going to do a, a kind of a shortened teaching on mental health, and then I'm going to bring up a few other people on staff here, and we're going to talk about our own stories with mental health and have a panel. Now, before we get into it, here's what I want you to do. Everybody get your phone out. Get it out. I know. I'm asking you to actually do this instead of put it away. Get your phone out. And go to Instagram, and if you don't already follow C12 on Instagram, go follow C12 on Instagram, and here's why. Because during the teaching and during the panel, if you have questions related to things that you hear or you just kind of have a, a thought triggered or things like that, and you would like to hear Andy and the panel answer those questions, then you can direct message, slide into the DMs of C12, and pose that question. Now, I'm sure there'll be a lot submitted. There's no way we can get to all of them, but we will be able to get to some of them. So I have you pull that out so that as we're going through this evening and a question comes to mind, you go ahead and send that in, and then we have that ready to go when the panel comes on up, all right? All right, let me introduce to you my friend Andy, though. Andy Brightbill's gonna come. <laughs> Um, Andy worked in the field of mental health for years and now works with us, which is same, 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 yeah, same thing. Same thing. Um, and here's what I want you to know about him going into uh, this conversation. Um, he deeply loves the Lord. God has changed his life. And you're going to hear a little bit about that tonight, about his story. I want you to hear that, um, I trust him. He's my friend, not just my coworker. And you can trust him. So as he speaks and as he shares, just know that this is somebody whose um, heart is for the Lord and whose heart is for you. And we are so privileged and so honored to have him here tonight. So can we do what we do so well and just welcome him with all of the exuberance? Yeah. You, you guys are a lot of fun already. Like you, like you get after it in here. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. This is my first time at C12. I don't know if you can tell. Yeah, it's been a little bit since I've been in college, like a, maybe two, three years. And uh, so that's good. And I want to start our conversation tonight like any good conversation about mental health. Uh, and I want to talk about Ikea. And I just think that's a fair place to start. How many of you have been to Ikea? Just show of hands. Good, that's good. Uh, because if you didn't have mental illness before you went to Ikea, you'd get it when you were there. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. And it's tricky when you're there, right? Because you go in the store and it's beautiful, right? It's well lit and all those rooms are laid out and they're all so inviting. And you hope that maybe one day every one of those rooms would be in your actual house and everything would be right in the world. And so you get excited about getting the furniture, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, this would look so nice in my room and I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna get that. And then you go to maybe what might be like the third or fourth level of hell at the end of Ikea where it's just cardboard boxes on shelves just as far as you can possibly see. And you've got to remember that weird Swedish name of the thing that you wanted, and you've got to go find it. 
in that hall of cardboard boxes, and your job hasn't even half begun. Because now the worst possible part of an IKEA trip begins when you get home. Because now you've got to put together the IKEA furniture. Amen. Yes, sir. I know. I know. Let, just let me ask you this question before we get, go any further. Is there anybody here who enjoys putting IKEA furniture together? Let's pray together. Just, Lord, <laughs> heal these people. I don't know what's going on. So, so I get at home, and it's literally one of my least favorite things to do in all the world. But I do the same thing every time. I open the box, I lay out all the pieces, and I open the directions, and I start. And things are going well. And then I get, and I get a little overconfident. And I close the directions, and I go like, I see. I see where this is going. I think I can take it from here. And so I put the directions on the counter, and I start putting it together, and I'm feeling good about myself until I get to what I think is the end of my project. And I'm looking at the thing that I built, and I realize this is not at all the thing that I bought. This isn't what I bought. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this does. It doesn't look like the picture. It doesn't look anything like it. And so then I've got to go back and I've got to take it apart. And then I've got to have to humble myself a little bit. I have to pull the directions back out. I've got to go step by step from where I, where I stopped. And now I'm back into it again. And I think maybe now I can get, the, get this thing put together the right way. And you know, the funny thing about it is I do it like every time. Like, I wish I could say that was a one-time experience. I bet at least four times that I've done it that way, and I still don't learn. And if I would just follow the directions from the beginning, things would be so much easier for me. Don't you agree? Man, if you could just follow the directions from the beginning. But the problem is sometimes you get halfway through it, and you realize it's not what you want. And I think life works out that way a lot, doesn't it? Because you end up at a place in your life and you're like, I don't even know how I got here. This is not what I intended and this is not what I wanted. And yet here I am and this doesn't look like the picture in the box. And so the question at that point is, what do you do? Because it just makes sense, doesn't it, that if Ikea printed the directions and Ikea made the furniture, that Ikea would know the best way for the furniture to go together. True? But then doesn't it also make sense that if God created us and he was the one that gave us life, that his way of doing life would be the best way for our life to work? Yeah, but sometimes along the way, we just decide that we're going to put the directions aside or we're going to go it on our own. And we end up in places we don't want to go. But I believe that when you read through the pages of Scripture, it becomes very clear very quickly that God has an order and a system for how he wants us to go about life. There's a practice and a pattern that he introduces to us all through the pages of Scripture. And in God's order, God is always first. That's always where he starts. It doesn't matter what thing you're talking about, marriage, finances, relationships, mental health, whatever it is, God has to be the first place. And then everything flows from there. But what that means is that we've got to submit ourselves to doing life the way that God intended for us to do it. And sometimes that's a hard place to get to because we feel like we can do it on our own or there might have been something that happened in our life where we realize or we begin to think that we can't trust God. And that's a scary place to get to. And so when we get to that place, we begin to go out on our own. And that's what my story was. That's what my story was. I was called to ministry when I was in high school. So I went to Bible college 
And then I got a job as a student pastor at a church in Pennsylvania. And it was awesome. It was awesome. They hired me. I was so excited. There were 13 kids in my student ministry. I was fired up. I thought it was just the biggest youth group that's ever been. I wasn't good at math either, so it kind of, it all, it all figures out. But then something amazing happened. The church began to grow and grow rapidly. And then something shifted in me that I started to think that maybe the reason the church was growing rapidly was because I was awesome. And because I thought I was awesome at doing this whole church leadership thing, all of my identity began to get wrapped up in leading a church. And so I began to spend more time and more time and more time at church and saying yes to more commitments and more things and doing more until finally it was running my life. And at the time I was married. And you can't really grow a marriage when you spend all your time working at the church. And so my marriage ended in divorce. And when my marriage ended in divorce, the church asked me to leave. And I was broken. I mean, I was just absolutely shattered. Because it's the only thing I really ever wanted to do with my life. I wanted to work at the church. I wanted to do student ministry. I wanted to grow, maybe one day, pastor in some other capacities. And all of a sudden, everything that I thought God wanted in my life and was doing in my life was taken away from me. And I got angry. I got angry at God. I got angry at the church. I wanted nothing to do with any of it. And so for a, a period of time in my life, I just threw it all away and I said, this is garbage and I want no part of it. And so I just did whatever I wanted. And there were a couple years in my life where literally I just did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. The problem is that those two years doing that did nothing for me. And the only reason I came out of it was because at the end of that time in my life, I was so depressed that for maybe a month solid, I could barely leave the house. I didn't shower. I just laid on my couch. I couldn't get motivated to go to work. And I didn't know what to do. Because I was still angry with God. And I was still angry at the church. But the life that I had wasn't anything like the life I dreamed I would have. And I didn't know what to do. So I called a counselor at that point, and the ironic thing about the whole, the whole time I was feeling that way, I was working in mental health. And you would think that, man, if anybody knew how to get out of this, it would be me. But I called a counselor, began to work through and talk through that. I spent a season of time in my life on antidepressants because I needed to, to have something to help me get through that. And I wish I could say that the minute I came back to God after that, that everything changed in an instant. But that's not how it worked. Because there were things inside of me that were broken, and I didn't let the gospel get to it. And sometimes it takes practice, and it takes time, and it takes training, and it takes effort to allow the gospel to transform everything in you. And so over the next handful of years, God wanted to do that in me, and I had to learn to approach life in a different way and think about things in a different way and see things in a different way. And it was over the course of years practicing that that God began to bring freedom into my life from feeling the way I felt. And in a way that only God can, everything I dreamed of having, God restored back. Because that's what God does. God has a heart to restore. 
And it wouldn't shock me at all that in a room this size that for a lot of you, there's things in your life that have broken. There's things in your life that have not gone the way you wanted to. The picture of your life doesn't match the picture on the box. And so what I hope we do tonight is to give you some very practical thoughts and ideas, things that you can put into practice in the way that you do life and live your life to prevent you from going down that road. Because I believe that God has a lot of things to say about mental health. I believe the Bible is full of instruction for how we go about adjusting the way that we think and feel. And so I want to take the next handful of minutes, and I just want to unpack some of those principles. And after that, there's going to be a whole group of us that are going to come up here, and we're just a bunch of messed up people. You haven't met the other ones yet, but trust me. (laughs) Trust me when I tell you that they are. Uh, But I hope this is helpful for you. So here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how the Bible outlines how we change our mental health. Is that fair? And we're going to do it super fast, okay? So please help me by understanding that right out of the gate, I'm going to oversimplify some very complex things. Is that fair? Okay. Because there's no way to unpack all of it in a really short amount of time. So when you start feeling depressed, anxious, if there's other things going on, the biggest thing for me when I was in that season, and I'm guessing maybe for some of you as well, is that what you want more than anything in all the world is to feel differently. You just want the pain or the anxiety or the brokenness to just go away. And so we begin to chase things that help us to feel differently. But I think the Bible says that we don't start with how we feel, we start with how we think. We start with how we think. This is what the Bible has to say in Romans 12 too. Let's take a look at it. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that say? The renewing of your mind, right? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It says that transformation begins with the renewing of our mind. Literally, we learn to think differently. When you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells you and you become one of his children, you literally are empowered to think differently. And we all have just weird, crazy, random thoughts just rolling around in our heads all the time. True? At least if you don't, you, some friends of yours do. There's just weird stuff happening up there. I don't know where it came from or what, what, it, what it's all about, but it's up there, Right? And some of those thoughts are harmless, but not all of those thoughts are harmless. Some of those thoughts are devastating. They're lies that have been told to us by someone maybe that was part of our life at one point, maybe by an enemy, and instead of dismissing them, we've chosen to adopt them as who we are. We've taken them in and formed them as part of our identity. And that's damaging because that's not what God intends for any of us. And so we've got to learn to think differently. We've got to learn to think differently and understand that we need to think about what God's truth is and not what the lies in our head are saying. Because if we can't get past the lies, we can never get to the truth. You know what Jesus said? He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's awesome, isn't it? Doesn't that sound good? But the problem is this, Jesus unlocked the prison cell and opened the door and sometimes we're just so comfortable with how it felt inside that we never want to leave. We just hang out in there. You go, but I like the prison cell, this is all I've ever known. 
so why would I want to get out of here? But Jesus' invitation is, listen, I've already opened the door and I've invited you out. But it's different out here than it was in there. There's different skill sets you're going to need to have. There's different practices you're going to need to have. There's different ways you're going to have to think. And so for you to change the way that you feel, it starts by changing the way that you think. And when you change the way that you think, it allows you to change the things that you choose. And so for you to feel better, you need to think differently, and then you need to choose differently. But the million-dollar question is, how do I do that? How do I choose differently? Well, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Let's take a look. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. First of all, I like this verse because it includes the word demolish. And I just feel like that's a fun word to say into a microphone on stage. So let's... But here's the part I want you to see. It says, and we take captive every thought. How many thoughts? Every thought. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's a cool verse, isn't it? Yeah, but what does it mean to take a thought captive? How do I do that? Because sometimes they just bounce around in there. It's almost like somebody took a big bin of super balls and just slammed them on the ground and they're just bouncing all over the place in there. Does anybody else's mind work like that? Thank you. I thought maybe I was alone for just a moment. So can I give you an exercise to try? This is like real therapy. We're going to do real therapy in real time together as a group, okay? Because when you go to therapy, you get exercises. And this is one of the exercises that was given to me, and I still use it all the time, all the time. You've got to learn to discern what your mental soundtrack is because we all have one. We all have thoughts that bounce around in our head over and over and over again that help to shape who you think you are. But God's invitation is not to be who you think you are, but to be who he thinks you are. And so what you've got to do is you've got to learn to weed out the thoughts that go against who God says you are. And so when you get home tonight or tomorrow morning or whenever the Spirit leads you to do it, I just want you to grab a blank sheet of paper. And on the blank sheet of paper, I want you to begin to write down what your mental soundtrack is. All those thoughts and phrases and things that that creep up in your mind. I told you some of my story, and so one of the thoughts I had to get over was the thought that God would never use me again. Or if people really knew what happened in my life, they wouldn't love me. Because those phrases that bounced around my head put me in a place of fear and not in a place of freedom. And God's invitation is not for fear, it's for freedom. And so for you, you've got to become a student of the way that you think. You've got to take those thoughts captive, write them down, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to see some of them on that sheet of paper, and instantly you're going to go, well, that's dumb. I don't know why I thought that. And you're going to dismiss it. But there's going to be a few phrases on there that when you see them in print and you're staring them down, they're going to sting. They're going to hurt. And in that moment, it takes some courage from you. It takes some courage to not run away from it, but to lean into it and to invite God to meet you right there in that moment as you begin to look at what that says. And then you begin to train your mind to say, I'm not going to think what that soundtrack says about me anymore, but I'm going to replace that with the truth of God's word. We sang songs about it tonight. 
We talked about how we're children of God and that he set us free. We talked about the fact that Jesus causes the darkness to tremble and he cultures all the fears. There's nothing in him that he can't handle the things that are in us. And you may not feel good about it at first. And that's the hard part. Because we want to feel better and we want to feel better now. And so because that exercise has some pain attached to it, when you see that phrase written down on that sheet of paper, it's easy to just like slam the book shut and slide it in a drawer and go, I'm not doing this. This is, this is a little painful. But when Jesus meets you there, the end result is freedom and not fear. And when you begin to train your mind to think differently and to choose differently, what you'll realize over time is that you will feel differently. Because the lies that you've chosen to believe will no longer carry weight in your life. Because the evidence of what God is doing in you is far too strong for those voices. Because I'll be honest with you, every once in a while, that God will never use you again pops up in my head. And then I go, wait a second. That can't possibly be true. That can't possibly be true. There's way too much evidence to the contrary. But there was a season of time in my life where I didn't have the confidence to say that, and I had to learn to think differently and choose differently so that I could feel differently. You with me so far? Everybody doing okay? You need to stretch? Anybody want to put a, like IKEA furniture together? Everybody all right? Okay. So I want to talk about one more thing, and I want to talk about it kind of in real time, and we're going to do it very quickly, okay? Because I want to talk about depression and anxiety. And I want to talk about it in terms of how we choose to think differently and choose differently and then feel differently. Does anybody in here know the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, give us this day our, what's the next phrase? Daily bread. In other words, our prayer is, God, give me today exactly what it is I need for today. And depression and anxiety play on exactly opposite thoughts to that. Depression happens when we get stuck in the past. Where we go back to a moment or an instance or a season of time in our life and we transfer ourselves back into that moment and we begin to say, well, I should have or I could have or I ought to have or if I would have in that moment. And we play that scene over and over and over again in our mind. And we, man, only if I could have done this or I ought to have done that. And we play it over and over and over again. Let me ask you a question. What can you do right now to change what happened five years ago? Nothing. And yet for all of us, sometimes we get stuck there. You know that Jesus on the cross already paid for your past? It's done. And if it ever comes back to haunt you, it's not Jesus. That's an accusation. That's straight from the pits of hell. Can I say pits of hell in here? Is that okay? Good, because it feels good to say it out loud, honestly. I, I like it. So depression happens when we get stuck living in the past. And anxiety happens when we get stuck living in the future. Right? Where we begin to go, well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if? And nobody ever says what if and then thinks of something good. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what if? Rainbows and puppies and kittens, yay! Like, nobody ever says that. Right? It's always what if and then diseases and pestilence and plagues and it's just terrible stuff that happens. What can you do right now that controls your future? Nothing. Right? 
You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God does. And his instruction is to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, help me to be obedient with what you've placed in front of me right now. Because all God's invited you to do is to be obedient with the next five minutes. That's all he's asked. And I promise you this, if you're obedient with every five minutes God gives to you, you're going to get exactly where God wants you to go. So take the pressure off, right? Trying to plan every detail of our lives is absolutely exhausting. I know because I try it. I still try it from time to time. I haven't learned yet, like the Ikea instructions. But here's the deal. I believe that God has so much for you. I believe it with everything in me. And it breaks my heart to see people settle for less than God's best. It breaks my heart to see you settle for less than God's best. Because there's things that God has uniquely wired and designed you to do. And there's nothing that would please the enemy more than to take you out and have you fall victim to his lies and accusations. And so God is inviting you to more. And I hope you lean into it. But we don't want my voice to be the only voice you hear on this tonight. And so there's some others that are going to be coming up and Heather's going to be coming up with them. And we're going to take some time together to just talk through some real live mental health questions. And so I'm going to turn things back to Heather. <laughs> all right. Did y'all? Okay. So by the way, yes, all that. Thank so you. good. Um, and... Um, couple things. One, don't forget that in the midst of this, you can direct message C12 on Instagram with your question, and uh, those questions will come to me. Um, let me just point out, I will be filtering, y'all, so don't those of you who are jokesters just know that, and we'll step into this. Um, but let me introduce these people to you so you know who they are. Obviously, you, you know, you just met Andy, it's, and many of you know Jeff. This is my husband. Yes. <laughs> I know. Hi, babe. Okay. And uh, this is Katie. Katie Bone, she's on staff with us here. I know. She works. And this is Ansley Allen. Um, they, uh, some of you might recognize if you're here on Sunday on the weekends, you might see Ansley up on the stage with her amazing pipes singing and leading worship. Um, and I, I would like to just say this before we get started as well. Y'all need to know, like, what we're about to do and what they're about to share is such an act of bravery. When people get up and are willing to be vulnerable and share their story and really lay out in front of strangers things that they never imagined throughout their history that they would be saying to strangers, can we just all agree that that is an act of bravery? And that that is something that in this room, we, we welcome. And we welcome everybody. And we know that um, everyone has a story. And so I want to honor that because um, like a couple of my friends, um, this is the first time they've ever even spoken in public. And so, y'all, this is just an act of bravery and we're going to lean in tight, right? All right. So I'm just going to um, offer a couple questions and you guys just... I don't know that I, I might post them specifically to individuals of you or just feel free to jump in on them. Um, but the first one I wanted to do just to help people uh, get to know you is this. Um, 
mental health has definitely been a thing in all of our lives. So I think it would be um, helpful just so people could understand why you're sitting here for you to, to share, you know, in a couple of minutes, like at what point, what was happening in your life that you knew, I think something's off. Like I think my emotional health, my mental health, like something's not right. Something's out of alignment. Um, so I don't know who wants to jump in on that. Who wants to go first? I, I can. I can. Yeah. Surprise. No. Uh, surprise. So like all. year one of our marriage, okay. we, right? Okay. <laughs> this is a safe place. It's okay. What is it's the okay. matter with you? What? What? When is mental health a problem or you're one of our marriage? Really? It's, it's when I discovered it. What do you want me to do? Year one of our marriage. Gosh. It was, it redeem was, it. Redeem it. Come on. Come on. I, okay, you know this go. happened. Just go. Year one of our marriage. <laughs> hey, Andy, you want to intervene? Counselor? We were... No, this is way too entertaining. I'm not <laughs> I love you. I okay. do. Okay. Nope. All right. Keep going. We were uh, not doing so great. It was not going well. And Again, one of surprise. the things, one of the things that led us into marriage counseling, was the fact that I had this really bad anger problem. So, like, what would happen is we would get into a fight, but then I would take it to a new level, and I'm like, the moons are gonna crush your head tonight, and it would be like this really crazy. At bizarre, I don't know if I said that, but like, it just was bizarre. It didn't make sense. I think you're filtering. I am filtering. You're filtering. So I, you, don't you need to say the words that well, I said? I don't said? think you need to, but like, anger was an issue. So like, throwing things and horrible words. And By moons, I mean a candle that I threw against the wall or a candle uh, holder. Whew, okay. So, uh, well, this is going well so far. Thank you. So we went to marriage counseling and the guy, and I was like, I'm just angry because she makes me angry, right? This is, it's, it's a marriage problem. He said, hey, have you ever been tested for um, bipolar or ADD? And I was like, no, but I know I probably have it. And I just thought that way about it, right? Like, it's probably something. And then he begins to explain to me this whole idea of chemicals in my brain. I didn't even know about it. And what was happening physically to me was I was using adrenaline like my body was using adrenaline to balance the chemicals in my brain. It was blowing my mind. And I'm looking at my whole life thinking I just was, you know, I would have a temper. But really what was going on was something physical and, and biological that could be helped. And it saved my marriage to begin to look at this issue that I had. And my brain's an organ, like other things. And I have a beautiful brain. I do. do. It is different. <laughs> It is different, also true. but I have a beautiful brain, and it, and it just needed some help. And so that's when I discovered it. It was something that I didn't even think of twice about other than I thought I had a temper when it actually was my body saying, nope, there's something that we need to look at deeper. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. I love being married to you. <laughs> my brain loves you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So I, it's just else? such a hard... Would anyone else like to share anything? Awesome. Yeah. Hey, Ansley, why don't you go? 
Um, to be real with you, I still have anxiety in my life, and I can feel my heart like beating out of my chest. So I speak to you from a place of God did not choose to heal me um, immediately upon like me praying about it or whatever. I think God is the healer, and he can heal you in a moment, but he did not choose to heal me that way. So just know that this is something that most of us will deal with for a long time and walk with the Lord really closely on. So all, it all began for me. I was in sixth grade when I realized that I was very anxious and depressed personality, ups and downs, lots of ups and downs. But I come from a very broken family to begin with. I'm probably going to cry because I'm also on an Enneagramma too, and we're very emotional. <laughs> We're emotional people. Um, my father is an alcoholic, and we grew up going to church and doing the right things, but our home was a very unspoken place where things were fully broken, but no one talked about it. And I internalized that a lot, and that created this anxiety in me that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't know how to talk about how I felt. I didn't feel free to talk about how I felt. I think in the church, these things have been taboo for too long. So for me, growing up in middle school and high school, I just internalized all of these feelings of being worthless or feelings of being alone. And it manifested for me at an earliest stage in anorexia. And I was sick for years, probably from seventh to 11th grade. And the only time I remember fully, I'm like shaking. Um, the only time I remember fully admitting I have a mental issue, I have a long family history of mental illness, but I think those, uh, what do they call them? Not red flags. You're more susceptible to even having a mental health issue when you have brokenness in your family, like when your family is broken and you come from all these things. So I... I guess for me, it started at a pretty young age, at like 12, and I finally recognized it in my own self when I went to treatment for my eating disorder, and I was in rehab for that for a few months, but um, that's a longer story, but that's where my story started yeah. and found healing through a lot of those years. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's so great. Um, and you did it, and by the way, you did that beautifully, Ansley. Beautifully. Katie. Hello. I'm really not sure why they asked me to be on this panel. Um, I struggled with alcoholism for about 10 years of my life. And I think that when I realized something wasn't quite, like, quite exactly right with me, I think I was, I was so young. I, I can relate to what Ansley said a lot. Um, I think second or third grade. I just felt different. I felt like I didn't fit in. And I had a lot of anxiety. Um, and I found relief from that feeling when I drank for the first time, when I was 12. And I didn't just like have a beer that my dad had left out. I downed a bottle of wild turkey. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but in that They're moment, <laughs> they know what that is. I felt so free. I felt so free. And what? I wrote on that um, for a long, long time. And it became the way that I was able to escape those feelings of not fitting in and not being able to be myself and feeling anxiety. Um, that was my way out. I used it for a long time to where it got to a point where it used me. I didn't have a choice if I wanted to drink or not. I had to drink um, just to get through the day. When I was in college, I would have to pack alcohol with me in order to take notes because the amount of alcohol I was drinking would leave me unable to steady my hand. Um, 
I'll tell like a really quick little story about the day that I realized I had to go to treatment. It wasn't like any, I didn't get arrested or get a DUI or, um, or anything like that. And the moment, my mom had to move in with me because they were afraid I was gonna kill myself accidentally or maybe intentionally, they didn't know. So my mom had to, to move in with me um, at college and she had had enough and was gonna switch off with my dad. So my mom left, it's about a two hour difference in time from when they were able to get back to me. And by the time my dad had made it back, I had already drank enough alcohol that I was passed out on the couch and he had to break the door down to get into my apartment. And it wasn't, I mean, there were so many things that happened to me during the time that I was drinking, but that moment when I looked up I had been passed out completely and I looked up with so much clarity in the face of my father and his panic and his pain and his disappointment and that was the only thing I could utter was, I can't help myself, I need you to help me. I'm, I will go to rehab, I'll do whatever I need to do. And that was when I really like admitted. I mean, I knew something was wrong. I was drinking insane amounts of alcohol every single day from sun up to sundown and I'd never really slept, only passed out. But that was the time when I was like, yes, Something is really severely wrong with me, and I need help. Gosh, that's why you're up here. That's why you're up here. You're so good. You're so good. Um, um, you're, you heard Andy's story of depression. I, um, I think I struggled with depression since uh, around, um, I think around 18 years old. Um, I've shared parts of my story and I had a lot of trauma in my life and around the age of 18, I had a very severe uh, traumatic thing happen to me. And from that moment forward, I never really could quite um, equalize myself. Like I would have high highs and low lows and like all these kinds of things. And I would have, you know, a month that I couldn't get out of bed and then I'd have a month and I'd be fine. And I would just go up and down. And so I think, you know, and actually I'm getting a lot of questions along the line. I think I thought, and I don't know what you guys, and you guys can speak to this, but I just thought something was wrong with me spiritually. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I must not, you know, I just, if I pray more and read the Bible more, then all of this is just going to be fine. And I must just not be a good enough Christian. I must just not... Um, God must not be pleased with me, or I must not be performing well as a believer, and if I could just get my head around that, but then the low lows would come, and I didn't want to open my Bible, and I couldn't pray, and then the high, I mean, it was just back and forth, and I literally, for a couple decades, this went on, and then, you know, when more trauma would happen, or more pain would happen, and Andy and I have talked about this, you know, um, because when those things happen to you, it can chemically, it does things to your body, and, um, and it, was, it really wasn't until uh, a few years ago that I really was willing to hear that um, just talking about it wouldn't solve it. I was going to need to employ some different, some different methods and get some different kind of help. So what I wanted to ask you guys next is um, what – so you talked about the moment that you kind of went, okay, something's wrong. Now we'll talk about um, – because obviously you're here because God has done something in your life. And where none of us are perfect and we don't get it right all the time, but you're here because God has transformed you and is transforming you. So what would you say um, have been the things or the thing or person or whatever it is that has 
been the greatest catalyst to you finding emotional health? Like, was, is it, I mean, I know maybe, it's, I think it's going to be different things for different ones of us, but like, Andy, what's, what were some of the catalysts to you getting healthy? Uh, many things, and I'm formulating yeah. the answers to that question right now <laughs> while I say these other things out loud. Um, I think that there's a lot of things for me that I have to make a regular practice in my life. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I try when I wake up in the morning to think through my previous day and how I reacted to things and what experiences I had and what I felt. Uh, because I think, you know, I don't know if you're like me at all. I grew up and I just thought that my life was normal. Yeah. Like the things I felt and the things I experienced like, that's just what everybody thinks and what everybody experiences and how everybody feels. And so I never took the time to slow down enough to realize maybe it's not. Mm. Maybe the way I feel right now isn't normal. Maybe, maybe there's something that I should think differently about. Maybe there's something that I should do differently. And so I have to, I have to capture that. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's the deal. I just, if I know more now, I think, you know, even having worked in mental health, I think a lot of times people wait until there's a crisis. Yeah. And then they show up and they ask for help. And if I were to give you one piece of advice on that, I'd say, like, don't wait for a crisis. If you have questions and you want to do some digging in your own life, find a counselor, find somebody that can help you do that. Because for me, I have friends that I talk to. Jeff and I are real open and honest with each other. Uh, and just have a friend where there's no judgment. I could say literally anything to Jeff. And I have. And vice versa. Uh, but that's just super helpful. Yeah, that's good. What about you guys? What are some of the things that have just been most helpful for you in finding health? Um, I'll go. Um, first thing that came to mind that I felt prompted to share is that anxiety and depression can create very real physical problems. Mm-hmm. Like adrenaline and eating disorder. Your eating disorder is not because you think you're fat. It's because you, you are, it's a grasp for control and it's an anxiety and it's OCD. There are things in your brain that make your body need help. And Jesus tended to the physical needs of his people first. He fed them. He clothed them. He didn't come in and say, hey, you're busted. I need to fix you. He fed them. So if you need physical help, get physical help. I got physical help for my body. When I went to treatment for my eating disorder, they didn't just start breaking apart my family. They dropped a feeding tube, sent me to the hospital, and I spent X amount of time getting my body well because your brain can't even fully process health if you're not, new, if you're not fed and, you're not, and your body is not healthy enough to process these things. So firstly, I think to do that what is going to require is professional and somebody who can medicate or whatever it is. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but um, pray on that, think on that. And um, besides that, then counseling for me, seeing a counselor, having community. I think when you're depressed, that's the greatest tool of the enemy is to isolate you and put you alone in a room where you don't want to leave the room. When the exact opposite thing is what your spirit really needs is this, is people, is... um, speaking to you and saying, hey, you're believing lies. Like, this is what's the truth. So counseling and then finally getting myself back into community and finding friends that I could trust. Um, What else? 
I'll just stop there so that I don't keep rambling. No, but good. those were my ma major things and yeah. still major things that even to this day, I still use tools that I learned in my rehab. I still have a binder like this thick and that I go through. And when I notice red flags in my life of like, oops, this looks like anxiety or this looks like I, I feel pressure to go down these rabbit holes in my brain or like have these OCD thoughts I can't stop thinking, I'll pull out my stuff and I'll read back through it or, of course, I guess I should say the Holy Spirit living within you makes this possible. Aside from Jesus, there is not like true healing and freedom. Like Jesus within you makes these things possible. Like I couldn't have done that just out of my own sheer strength. It's because the Holy Spirit intervened in my life and made that freedom possible. But That's good. anyways, I'm That's rambling. Good. Keep going. I think reality is your best friend. And then with that, you can't trust your, percep your perception of reality. So for me... Uh, I hated taking medication. I thought it was failure. I thought that I, something, I was crazy. Like, that I, I need to be locked up somewhere and, and taking medication is just further indication that, that, some, that something is wrong with me. I didn't even like telling people that. Um, that's not, that wasn't reality. It wasn't until, actually, the first time I actually really felt comfortable talking about that I take medication was maybe three or four years ago, uh, we were at a different church and Heather had asked me to talk about this and I was a lot more terrified than now because what happened that time was I talked about it and I just thought I was being judged like crazy and it was very undoing. A mom walked up to me at the end just sobbing. She had this like teenage son with her and she said, Thank you so much for talking about that in church. He's been wanting to kill himself because he doesn't want to have to take medication. I was like, oh, wow. Um, I should talk about this more uh, because someone might be feeling like I felt. Just like, what's the point of even going on if I had to take medication? No one else does, and they seem to be doing fine. What's wrong with me? And that's not reality. So we've got to get a really good picture of reality, and I have to keep a good picture of reality. Like what Andy said, talking to people, talking out loud about real things. I exercise. I have to exercise. My brain loves me when I exercise because I think crazy thoughts, like re weird thoughts. You do. And when I go for a run, <laughs> if I just go for a quick run, man... I just work all that out on that run. I'm like, yeah, that's not true. Yep, this is probably true. I wonder if they really do fly. And then I just like, <laughs> it's, it's just really good for me to have exercise. Okay, there's a lot of other things that all of you know, but it isn't until they all start kind of working together. It's not just one thing. Like, you need Medicaid, like Ansley said. Maybe, maybe you do. I take a little blue pill, and that's, you know, what helps me. It's, I mean, it's a, for the, it's a, <laughs> Sorry, bud. Not that blue pill. Yeah. That's all working just fine. <laughs> listen, listen. Hey, I have a thought I'd like to offer. <laughs> Can I offer a thought? I'm going to... Oh, gosh. It's a... I'm just, just know. I'm just getting know. comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm... Yes, you're... Yes. Yeah. No. No. Medication okay. is not for everybody, but it is, it is something that could be part of this. There's a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. But get perspective on what is real. 
You have to talk about this and look at the person across from you and then trust their perspective on reality. It's important. I don't know if I should okay. say any more words. Um. Effort. Can I offer one more thought on yeah. that? Yes, Andy, please offer, I want to offer a thought. thought. Uh, I, think, I think something that, wow, hi, hey, buddy. Uh, I think something that's super helpful is to right-size your problem. Is to right-size your problem and understand, you know, like Heather was talking about, may, when you thought there's something that you just needed to pray harder about right. or believe God more on, right. like that's not a fair thought. That's not a fair thought for you to think. I don't even know what that looks like. Just believe harder. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. You know, but for you, it may be a journey. It may be steps, right? It may not be you go to bed one night and you wake up the next day and everything's great. But it's learning to realize, like Jeff was talking about, frame up reality in, in, the, in a right perspective. Because it allows you to understand that you're making progress over time. And that's, that's a helpful thought because it's not, I have it, I have it, I have it, I have it, I don't. Sometimes it's like every day is a little bit better than the day before. Uh, but if you don't frame it up the right way, you could miss that. Speaking on that a little bit, I, part of what I had to do, the catalyst for me, was I actually went to a rehab. I had to physically remove myself from the situation I was in um, for a number of reasons. But um, one of the really great things that I learned there was um, that I can get a lot of help from a mental health professional. Um, I was institutionalized, I like to use that word because it sounds really fun, um, for about a year and a half of my life when I first admitted that I had an issue with alcohol. And during that time, all day, every day, there was some kind of processing going on with a mental health professional. So I was in counseling solidly all day, every day for a year plus. And then what I chose to do after that was continue that process. So a couple times a week once a week, um, you know, every two weeks, and I just kind of weaned down from there for about five years. And that seems like a really long time, but it's a great investment that I made in my mental health because mm -hmm. I learned how to reel it back in um, and how to recognize issues before they take me down and cause me to make choices that I don't want to make. That's good. I, oh my gosh, you guys are giving so many questions. I wish that we had all night. There's so many good questions. And I want, mostly because I want to be able to sit across the table from every single one of you that are texting and look you in the eyes and just jump into these. Some of you are doing some very, very big things. So I'm going to try and ask questions that I think might speak to a couple of these holistically. Um, uh, how have you kept this from being your identity? How do you go through every day when you look in the mirror and you don't look in the mirror and go, I am addiction, I am, you know, anorexia, I am depression, or I am anxiety. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? And do you still struggle with that? Like, what do you, how do you keep your mind right in knowing who you are and who you aren't? I will start. This is so, so hard for me. Um, I've been sober for 10 years, which is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And part of that journey for me has been attending a program where you introduce yourself. My name is Katie, and I'm an alcoholic. So with that being said, that was so deeply ingrained in me and part of my identity. And I recently began feeling so much, um, so much shame and so much anger and resentment about that because that's not 
all that I am. Um, and that's not what God created me to be. So I'm working through some of that and I'm dealing with that. Um, but what really helps me to remove that is looking at what is true and what is a lie. I am not the sum of the choices that I've made. I'm a daughter of the king. I am not. All of the horrible things that I did to my family, I'm redeemed and I'm saved. Um, And those those are things that are true. And I have to go back to that over and over again um, and just remind myself, just like we sang today, that I'm a child of God. I was chosen. And I'm not Katie the alcoholic. That's just part of my story. Yeah. Um, uh, I think sometimes when we meet people or we get to know people and we want to introduce ourselves, sometimes we just feel like we need to introduce all of our problems and flaws first. Like we just need to come at someone and go, oh, hey, so you, just so you know, I struggle with depression. I mean, and I, I, I don't know why we just tend to do that. Like I, and um, one of the ways that helps me remember who I am is when I just go, you know what, I don't think I need to do that. Like, I don't think I have to have every conversation contain, like, every struggle I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That I have people in my life that I do have that conversation with, like all of you right now, but, (laughs) like, I do choose when to have those conversations, but I don't, that's not all of who I am. And because God is redeeming my life, then I want to get to know people and, you know, be able to be the good that God has made me to be. Um, One of the questions that I think is really important I want to get to is because there's a lot of how do I know when I need help? How do I know if therapy is enough? How do I know if, 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 um, you know, reading my Bible and praying is enough? How do I know, you know, to what degree I struggle? Um, And... I mean, I have a quick answer, but Andy, I'm wondering if you can throw into like, how can a person sitting in here, no matter where they're at, gauge kind of what would be my next step? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would, if you have any questions, if you should get help, get help. Yeah. Yes. Get help. Because here's the deal. We, we do what we know to do. Does that make sense? And that, what, when we do what we know to do, we get what we already have. And so if you want something different, it's hard to get there on your own. You've got to get help to do something different. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting here going, I don't know, maybe, maybe this isn't enough, or I've tried this for a while, but I'm not making the progress mm-hmm. I'd like to make, then, then pick up the phone and call somebody. There's no shame in that. I tell people, I mean, I've been to therapy. I go uh, whenever I feel like I need to. I've seen multiple therapists for multiple reasons over multiple years. I tell people, I think everybody should go. I think everybody should go for at least six months. Because I feel like, I told you, I thought my life was normal. I thought the experiences I had were normal. And I needed help to vet that out and go, maybe it's not normal. Maybe that thing that happened to me when I was a kid doesn't happen to everybody. And I should talk to somebody about that. That's good. So I I would concur. I would say, if what you're doing isn't working, you need to do something else. So more than likely, 
talking to someone, even if it's a trusted, godly friend, if it's one of the leaders here, if it's a pastor here, if it's someone to say, I'm wondering if I need help, and I want to say these things to you so that you can tell me if, like, you think I do, or because or it, it may be something that you don't need to get help for, and it can just be a conversation between you and a friend, and you pray together, and you just feel free just in and of that. But I want to say this because then we're going to, we need to bring this to a close and we're going to worship together a little bit too. Um, Because there's a question in here that how, why isn't Jesus enough? Mm. It's a really good question. Because I think all of us up here would say all of these things we've talked about, whether it's talking to a counselor or medication or um, just talking to a friend or being in community, hear me say Sometimes Jesus chooses to heal people of things entirely with no outside external help. And he does that physically. People have been healed of cancer. You know, my mom has not been, but he's healed some people. So sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. Um, Emotional health is the same way. Sometimes God heals it entirely and sometimes he doesn't. But what God does do, what Jesus does do, is he often uses the gifts and the blessings in this life to keep us healthy. Like, I don't have a thyroid. I had my my thyroid removed years ago. So every day I take a pill that that gives my body what it needs because I don't have a thyroid. Um, And that is how God has has, he hasn't like magically or supernaturally grown another thyroid in my body. He could, but he hasn't. And so I do something that helps kind of strengthen that and gird that up. Emotional and mental health is the same way. Sometimes God uses other things to help us remain whole, and those are the blessings of this life. So is Jesus enough? If you don't have Jesus, I don't think you have hope. I think Jesus is the hope. He is the answer. He is the only thing that can give you peace in the midst of pain. He's the only thing that can, the Holy Spirit can supernaturally invade your space anywhere, anytime, any place, no matter how you feel, in your mind, in your heart, in your body. The Holy Spirit can just zero in and speak to you in ways that nothing else could. A story, a story that I was reading in the Bible recently, I'm going chronologically this year, which I've never done before, but while you were just speaking, this story came to my mind, and I feel like it really wrecked me for the, for the visual of that question, because I've wrestled with that too, of like, well, why did I have to get help this way, and why didn't God just remove anxiety completely? I've been healed of eating disorder, but anxiety sticks around. I don't understand. And the story is, back, you know, in the Old Testament, when God was leading the Israelites to the promised land or whatever... Um, oftentimes God would say, yes, go to battle. I'm going to win the battle for you. But he never let the Israelites sit at home in the camp. He had them on the battlefield, but they knew that God went before them and had victory for them. Yes. But he had battle with them. And he, he doesn't need you on the battlefield to fight for your mental health. He didn't need me to go and do those things, but he wanted me to be a part of that story with him. And he wants you to, he wants you to be on the battlefield and choose the tools he's given you to fight, to fight for that. But the victory is still his, but he's given victory to you. So it's not as Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't enough to heal the way I want him to heal me. 
But Jesus is enough to do what he's going to do in your life because he is good and for the glory of his name. So that battlefield story has been wrecking my mind because the visual of, and they're all standing on the battlefield. I'm sorry, I don't have the reference because it was like two weeks ago and I didn't write it down um, because I'm forgetful. But um, everybody's on the battlefield and this one dude is like, oh my gosh, there's so many chariots and there's all these people. What are we going to do? And then Elisha, I think, Sorry, I'm not a pastor, but Elisha prayed, and he prayed. He said, God, please open his eyes to let him see. And the man opened his eyes, and he saw the heavenly army standing there. And I think a lot of us, my prayer is that our eyes would be open to the spiritual realm of what's going on, and that you will see that God is all around you fighting for you, and you're not alone on the battlefield, but the battle's not yours to win. It's the Lord's. Yes. I don't know, Ansley, you might be a preacher. Not a preacher. Yeah. You might be a preacher. Because I'm yeah. going to go throw up in the baptismal pool. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to, uh, Ben, go ahead and come up, and we're going to get our chairs up. But by, can we give them a hand as they go? Um, I want to say this because I've seen your questions coming in, y'all. You have some big questions. If you are someone that has submitted a question, it's that heavy one, it's weighing on your heart. Hear me, listen to me, all of you, lean into it, listen to me. You talk to somebody, even if it's a friend that you trust, if it's a leader here, if it's, if it's a pastor, talk to somebody. Say, I just need to get this out. I just need to say this. If you don't want to talk out loud, write it down and email it. It doesn't matter. Like, just get it out. Talk to someone and take whatever next step you need to take. Because everyone in this room has a spectrum on which they deal with this. Some of you just deal with it and you have moments of fear because you're afraid to take the risks that God's asking you to take and the enemy's playing with your emotions, right? And then there's all the way at the other end of the spectrum and you're, you're, we're talking about some of these deep, you know, really, really painful stories, you know, some of which you've heard tonight and you have, and all of us have this huge spectrum that we deal with where the enemy comes in and messes with our minds. But Andy's, like Andy said today with that verse, you take captive every thought. So there really is, there are, I should say, no, I don't want to say none, but very few songs that I think allow us to take captive thoughts like the one we're going to sing it's called no longer slaves yes um and when it says um that, that god he parts the sea that you can walk right through it it's that idea that when things are confusing and things are overwhelming and you're looking around and there's, there's walls and you don't know how you're going to get across, it's that Jesus, because of Jesus, he parts that sea and you walk across not on wet ground, not on muddy ground with no other obstacles. You walk across on what? Dry ground to the other side. All right? So let's stand together. And I'm going to do this as we sing this song. If you are someone that would like to be prayed over, maybe the enemy's really messing with your mind. Maybe the enemy is just, you're speaking lies to you and you just, um, yeah, y'all get stretched, stretch for worship. They're down here stretching, get stretched. Here we go. Because if you're not sweating, you're not worshiping. So everybody get, get ready. Here we go, ready? Um, if you would like prayer, especially for your emotional thoughts and your emotional health and your mental health, um, I would love for you to just make this space yours. And then I'm going to invite even those that are on the panel um, 
to come up and just lay a hand on you and pray over you. If you're a volunteer here at C12, for you also, when you see people up here, just go and lay a hand on them and pray for them and lift them before the Lord. And let us just remind you that you are not alone, all right? So as we sing, you come and we will just pray for you. You don't have to tell us what it is. We'll just pray over you. All right, y'all ready? Ready? All right, let's go. Unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave.
song. I just want to sing it. Um, they're going to keep playing and people are going to keep praying and you can come up and we will continue to pray with you. If you need to leave, um, you may go and, and, and you are more than happy and more than free to do that. But So before you do, I want to um, do what we've done a couple times, but I just feel like it's appropriate again. I'm just going to um, say a blessing over you. Um, and it comes from scripture. It's from a passage in scripture. Um, in some churches, they call it a benediction. Um, it's just a fancy word for a blessing. So I'm going to say that over you. So my hope is that you hear the words as, as from the Lord and receive them and take them from here out there. And those of you that then need to go, feel free to go. And those of you that would like to continue to pray or even just stay in worship, then you are free to do that as well. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be so gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his what? Peace. Because it's his peace that passes all understanding and it's his peace that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, not just now, but forever and evermore. And God's people together said, amen. Sing together, I'm surrounded.
Child of God. 